0: Tonight's um, Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 1. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others these women were helping to support them out of their own means while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town he told this parable a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed some fell along the path it was trampled on and the birds ate it up some fell on rocky ground and when it came up the plants withered because they had no moisture Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. This is God's word.
1: My name's Phil, I'm the Associate Vicar here, and it's lovely to be bringing this passage to you tonight. You've got an outline which will help you see where we're going, and let's pray for God's help as we start. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Our Father, that is what you've promised. And so we pray that your word will be fruitful amongst us tonight. Please, would we have hearts that are soft, that recognize truth, and that long to live in the light of all that you say. Father, please, would you grant us repentance and faith tonight? And we ask this for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Are you a good listener? I have to say, uh, according to those nearest me, I don't do very well on this. If you put me in a pub with a TV screen then you could be sat opposite me telling me next week's winning Euro Millions numbers or screaming at the pubs on fire and I would just blank you. I just, I zone out. I'm not a very good listener. And the problem is it actually, it does rather matter because how you listen conveys how much value you attach to somebody. We listen to people we care about. Listening communicates value. And how important I think a person is determines how well I listen to them. That seems to be the the case for all of us. Uh, God gave us two ears, one mouth. There is something in that. We would do well to learn his lesson. Now, it's very true for interpersonal relationships. It's very, very hard to build any sort of friendship, relationship with somebody who doesn't listen to you. Because you just don't feel like they value you. And if that's the case for how we deal with one another as human beings... How much more important is it that we think carefully about how well we listen when it's God who is speaking to us? It's the challenge the Holy Spirit is going to give us tonight as we look at Luke 8 together. How do we listen when God is speaking? How do you listen when God is speaking? How do you respond to his word? Do you give him your full attention? Let's look together at this passage then. So uh, Luke 8. Luke uh, has been showing us who Jesus is as we've gone through, especially this this first chunk of Luke where Jesus has been introduced. He started his teaching ministry. He is uh, really in Galilee. And he is beginning to help the disciples to understand who is this man who forgives sins and heals the sick? Who is this man has dominated? And as we read in verse 1 of chapter 8... Jesus is preaching. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God. He is the king, and he's calling people to join his kingdom of life and forgiveness and hope. And a very broad range of people have been responding, if you've been tracking with us, through Luke. And a little snapshot is given here. What is particularly striking in that culture is that women are recorded. That just wasn't a common thing to do back then. Unlike so many religious leaders of the day, Jesus accorded women exactly the same status and value. And treated them with respect and dignity, as he should. And unlike other religious leaders, there's never a whiff of scandal. Women follow him not to be used by him, but because they recognize in him a God who loves them, who values them. And who gives them the forgiveness that everybody longs for. And as he uh, preaches and as they walk, he starts to teach them a particular lesson. So verse four, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A parable is just a story with a point. That's all it really is. And in fact, every story has a point. I've been subject to a lot of children's TV recently and you read little, the books that are written for children and watch the TV and everything has a point. They've always got a point. Usually it's pretty blunt and obvious and tedious, but it's no one tells a story unless they've got a point to it. And this is not just another parable that Jesus tells, another story with a point like we saw last week. This is, and this isn't the first time he's told a story, but it is the gateway parable. If you like, this is the parable that tells you how to listen to parables. This is Jesus saying, why do I speak in stories? Let me explain. And he sets a scene that would have been very familiar to the crowd. In verse 5, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path it was trampled on. And the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on a good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So the sower would have a seed bag slung in front of him and walk backwards, scattering the seed as he went. And there's a path near the field and so some seed falls on the well-trodden path and it's trampled on by passers-by and gobbled up by the birds because the seed can't penetrate the hard path. Other seed falls on rocky soil, which isn't soil with rocks in it. It's a thin layer of soil over limestone. So the, the limestone traps this little layer of soil and it means when the hot Mediterranean sun gets up, the plants are just scorched. They don't have any deep root to draw moisture from the soil. The promising seedlings just soon wither. The other seed falls amongst the thorns. And as quickly as the plants grow up, well, thorns grow too. They strangle and smother the plants, robbing them of water and robbing them of sunlight. And finally, some seed falls on good soil. And this is like some super-enhanced GM poly-hydroponic greenhouse crop. It's incredible. I mean, a hundred ears of corn from one seed. Farmers here all of you, will uh, we'll, we'll know that's, that's an impressive yield. That's an impressive yield. Okay, very interesting, nice story for the farming community, Jesus. What are we supposed to make of it? It's tempting to think, well, the big point is employ a better sower. I mean, seriously, you can imagine Alan Sugar, one seed, one seed out of four, you're fired. I mean, it's just, it's not a very good return But Jesus hasn't come as an agricultural revolutionary. He's not some first century Norman Borlaug come to save the world from poor crop yields. He's God's saviour. He's come to save us from sin. He's come to call us into the kingdom of God. And what we'll see is what he's teaching here is what happens when the message of the kingdom goes out? What happens when the greatest preacher of all history, Jesus Christ himself, with the most perfect life to back it up, what happens when he preaches the good news of the kingdom of God? And what will happen when his followers, even you and me, what happens when we tell other people about Jesus Christ? We see that in this second bit as the secret is revealed, verses 9 to 10. Uh, Second half of verse 8. When he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That doesn't mean you have to have a particular shape ear to get God's message. It's a call to listen carefully. Verse 9. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables, so though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, They may not understand. Okay, why is it that the disciples get to hear what the the parable means? The disciples get to learn what's going on, but the crowd remain under the judgment of Isaiah's prophecy that's quoted here. The the prophecy that they would see, but not really see. That they would hear, but not understand what was being said. Why is it that the two groups are treated differently? The answer very simply comes in verse 9. The disciples asked. Actually, literally, the disciples accosted him. They said, look, we're not content with the story. We want to know what it means. Jesus, tell us what it means. They want to understand. They've got a spiritual hunger for the things of the kingdom of God. And so they pester Jesus. That's what it's saying. They pester him until he tells them. And Jesus says, you guys have the secrets of the kingdom of God explained to you because you care and you ask. The crowd they couldn't really care what it means. They came to be entertained. There's no Netflix, no Winter Wonderland. So this is the best entertainment around. A few miraculous healings. Ooh, very exciting. Great story. Wonderful. But once it's gone, back home. No spiritual appetite. No hunger. No. 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 But what does it mean? What does this tell us about God? Oh, what a lovely story. Bye. You here again tomorrow? The kingdom of God is a secret. Verse nine. In other words, it's something you can't work out. That's what secret means in the Bible or mystery. It's something that has to be revealed to you. We need God to reveal it to us. We need God to explain what's going on so we understand what he's saying. But it's hard to admit. And Life's actually got a lot easier for us on this. So it used to be that uh, driving... Was you know, The problem was you could get very, very lost, and if you're struggling, if you're somebody who struggles to admit you're lost and doesn't like to ask for directions, uh, you'd get very, very lost indeed. Uh, you would end up having, well, uh, I think this map must be slightly out of date, because it says here we're in Birmingham, and I was only trying to get to Clapham. And the, but you, um, The map must be out of date. It, it used to be quite hard to ask for directions. Now, of course, you don't have to. You, you never have to ask anybody. You just plug it into Google, and when you get lost, oh, we're being rerouted, darling. I have no idea where I am. It's, uh, but it's, it's hard to admit, I'm lost. I don't know where we are. I'm going to have to ask somebody else. It's hard with road directions. It's a whole lot harder when you're saying, when it comes to the fundamental direction of my life, When it comes to working out if there's a God and what I should do about him, I'm lost. Help. I can't work it out. Can you help me? That's not an easy thing to do. I wonder if you can do that. Can you pray, God, if you're there, please would you help me? Please would you help me find the truth about you? Can you ask a Christian friend, could you help me work this out? Can you help? Can you explain the Bible? Can you come along to Christianity Explored and work it out? The secrets of the kingdom of God are laid open to those who are bothered to ask, to those who admit they need help. The secret's revealed. So what what is revealed in the parable? Well, actually, it fits with what we've just heard in verses 9 to 10, because the parable is all about how we understand God and his ways. And there are five statements really in verses 11 to 15 that explain the various elements of the parable which is all about the word in our hearts that's what the seed and the soils is about it's the word in our hearts. Firstly verse 11 this is the meaning of the parable Jesus says the seed is the word of God. You would have thought if if God is real and he actually speaks clearly that we would do nothing, let nothing get in the way of, of hearing him. But too often, the responses that we read about in the, next, in the first three soils are exactly right. Now, at this point, it is worth mentioning there is something, I think, quite interesting about the way Luke, in particular, records this story. Because he doesn't give us an answer to the question that many of us come to, which is, okay, which of the, which of the four are real Christians? Is it just the fourth one? But Luke is actually deliberately vague. I mean, he does talk about falling away in verse 13, but verse 14 just talks about not maturing. Hang on, does that mean that they are an immature Christian or that they're not a Christian at all? And I think he's being deliberately ambiguous. And the reason for that is this passage has a couple of things. It does shed light on... uh, what sort of responses ought we to expect and why do people respond in the way they do? When we invite friends to church or when people are investigating the Christian faith, uh, what what kind of responses should we expect if we're being faithful and doing things in a, in a way that honors God? It answers that. But it also answers another question, which is, forget people who are looking into the Christian faith. What about... I guess the majority here tonight, those who would call ourselves Christians. You say, yes, I follow Jesus. I submit to him. I want to live his way. How do we listen? What's going on when we encounter the word of God as we are doing right now? What can we expect in our hearts? And I think because of the ambiguity, the spotlight is turned in an uncomfortable way on me and on you too, in a way we may not have thought it was let 's start with the first soil um, verse twelve verse twelve, so those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved this one it 's very clear the devil 's all consuming mission is to stop people hearing about god 's salvation and drag as many of us down to eternal condemnation in hell with him as he can. War is being waged over our souls, so don 't be surprised; there are so many distractions and problems. When you invite people to come to hear the gospel, carol services or wine tasting or a church, there is a devil and he does not want people to hear the word of God. It's his mission to stop that happening. So what should we do? We should pray. There aren't two gods, God and the devil. There's one God. The devil's a creature. And he might be far more powerful than you and me, but he is not more powerful than God. So we pray, we pray and we pray. And look, the honest truth is, how much I pray for friends, family, and colleagues to come to know Jesus, how much I pray for them, shows how seriously I take this spiritual battle. There's a serious opponent. We're fools if we don't turn to God for help. But of course, it's not just other people who need prayer, who need help. Even those of us who do believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins and rose to give me eternal life. Well, when God's word comes to us, we we'll all know there are times when it is plucked away before it has a chance to do anything. And it says things I find personally costly or, or rather inconvenient, things I don't want it to say. It's amazing how easily the word can, well, bounce, bounce off my heart like a tennis ball shot at a tank. And so we need to pray before we encounter God's word. When we read it ourselves at home or when we gather in church, we need to pray that God would enable his word to penetrate our hearts. I wonder if we realize we're in a spiritual battle every time we encounter the word of God. So pray. Pray that God's word would penetrate your heart. First soil. Second soil, verse 13, is the soil that falls on the thin soil over the rocks. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Now this time, the word of God makes an instant impact and with great joy, people respond, wow, this is fantastic, you're telling me Jesus died for me and I can be forgiven and have hope? But the spiritual interest shrivels and dies when the going gets tough. And right now, around the world, Men and women like you and me are weighing up whether they go to church. Now, some will risk being abducted or even killed if they do so. Others know the secret police will be there. Some parts of China, they know that their photo will be taken as they go in. They know that once the photos are logged and it works its way through the system, that kills off promotion prospects at work. They know that that probably kills off the chances of their children attending a good university. And so some will decide, it's just too hard. It's not worth the cost and they'll stay at home and slowly but surely, their faith in Jesus will wither and die. But even in Britain, where there's not persecution, this happens. Students who've followed Jesus since they were children, but then they get to university and, well... They're ridiculed by lecturers. Or students who encounter Jesus at university and are excited to learn about the gospel and, until they find it's costing them their friendships. As people think, I really not, don't really want to get involved with you if, if you've got into all that Christian stuff. Adults who've just been ground down, the the continual mockery of family or colleagues about their faith that just gets too much. Or the ultimatum from the boyfriend, it's God or it's me. Or the health problem or the nightmare at work, which we just assumed wouldn't happen if if I was obediently following Jesus. Today, there are people around this country, people like you and me, deciding it is just too costly. And like the seed scorched by the sun, they are withering. See, we face a choice when hardship comes. Will I keep trusting and obeying? Or will I grow resentful and cold towards Jesus? And just slowly distance myself. Thirdly, verse 14, the seed that fell amongst the thorns and was choked... The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Now, they're not scorched by hardships so much as just sapped and choked by all the the good things of this world. I think of a very good friend of mine who, from the time I met him at university a couple of years back, um, was uh, quite interested in in God things. He, He was always quite interested in them. But somehow he never quite made it along to church or the Christian Union. There was always the, the essay, the exam revision, the better invitation. And then when we moved to London, he was confronted by the reality of death in a very personal way. And he came along to church and signed up for a Christianity Explored course. which was great, but he never finished the course. He meant to, but he, he was getting married and then he was moving house. Uh, and then work was awfully busy. It's difficult to make it to church when you're on the golf team. Uh, and there's no point in having a weekend house by the beach if, if, if you never go to it. Never made a conscious decision to, to walk away from Jesus' offer of salvation. I'd still say he's very interested in God. But the cares of life and wealth and the pleasures that it buys just means that he's never moved from interest to faith, to commitment. Choked. What about you and me? What about those of us who call ourselves Christians? I wonder, for some of us who perhaps feel ourselves distant from God and lacking confidence in our faith, I wonder whether it might not be that it has something to do with the long hours at work and sky sports at home, with nights out socialising in the week and city breaks at the weekend that just mean there's, there's just no time to grow in our faith. We're just not really at church. We're not really reading our Bibles and praying as much as would keep us healthy. I remember chatting to a, guy at a previous church that I worked for, and he was saying he just he found he wasn't really growing as a Christian. He felt distant from God. And, and I was asked, so I asked him about his devotional life. And he said, I just find I just don't have time. I'd love to be able to read the Bible and pray and grow in intimacy with God. But I just don't have time. And as we got chatting more, it turned out he did have time to go to the gym four times a week without fail for a couple of hours. It's not a bad thing, but just the good things on offer just, just squeezed out God. Good times so often squeeze out God from our lives. But finally, the good news comes in verse 15 with the good soil. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it and by persevering, produce a crop. It, re- it represents a heart that doesn't only hear, but literally clings tightly to the words. The person who's not put off by hardships or distracted by good things. And that person perseveres and bears fruit. The fruit comes just because they keep going. By persevering. In other words, just by keeping going day by day, you become fruitful as a Christian. That's it. I prayed from Isaiah at the beginning of this talk, and God's promised in Isaiah his word. It's his word, and he'll bring fruit from it. We just cling to him each day. He'll sort out the fruitfulness. I think of um, somebody here. I remember when I was a ministry intern, again, one or two years back, and uh, one of the most enjoyable nights of the week was... Running Christianity Explored, up, um, we had a, a, an upstairs room at a pub just up on Piccadilly. We ran it for, for six weeks, the course. Uh, I think the main reason we ran it for six weeks is the pub insisted that we use their own food, and everything was deep fried. And after about four or five weeks, you could literally feel your arteries hardening. And so it was like six weeks is about as much as was possible for the health of any individual. But I remember one course, and I think there were about uh, 18 people signed up for it. And on the first night, about eight or nine came. And as the course went by, uh, a number just drifted away, just too busy with work and, and good things, other commitments. And then I remember there was also uh, there was also one guy in particular who, he was convinced that what he was learning about Jesus was true. He was even convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead, but the implications what it was going to cost him it was just too hard the suffering that would come from putting jesus first i remember he walked away and by the end of the course the, there were only one or two out of those 18 who had signed up only one or two who who decided yes i want to put my trust in jesus christ but one in particular uh, he then started to live for jesus his life changed Work was no longer number one. In spite of working a very pressured job in the city, as he grew and got involved, he wanted to lead a Bible study group at, at church and was prepared to sacrifice time for that. He started inviting friends at, at work to lunchtime talks and, uh, and to Christianity Explored at the office. He even seen work colleagues come to Christ and more and more involved at church and, and now, is, now is massively involved as an elder here at church, hugely fruitful over the last decade and a half. It's exactly what Jesus promises us here. Exactly what I experienced at that course. Many showed interest. Some, well, the word was plucked away quickly. Others, it was just choked out by the busyness of London life. Some, just suffering and testing, it just zapped them. But those who were faithful, those who persevered. It's been incredible to see the fruitfulness and what God has done in them and through them. And this parable about the, the seed and the soils, it tells us what to expect when we speak to others about Jesus or invite them to church. It warns us, look, many people will hear the word of God, but only a few will believe and persevere. And it's really important that we get that straight because if you don't recognize that, if you if you're kind of expecting well it's God's work and the the kingdom will grow and 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 God is powerful well then when you don't see lots of friends coming to church or becoming Christians you'll be tempted to either change the message well maybe we've got this wrong maybe some of the things that cause people to reject you know the having to obey the bible's sexual ethics or having to to believe Jesus is the only way to God maybe 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 we shouldn't teach those things uh, and you'll you'll end up changing God's truth. Or you might just conclude, well, maybe I'm just not gifted at this. Look, if if people aren't becoming Christians when I invite them to church and when I speak to them about Jesus, maybe I'm just not cut out for that and I'll leave it to other people, the, the evangelist types. No, no, no. This is what Jesus calls us to expect. Now, the one in four is not a precise figure. So uh, those who are that way inclined, don't go home, create a spreadsheet of everybody you've ever invited to church and, and check, you know, whether, you know, does it work out one in four? Does it, uh, are there, that's It's a pattern, not a precise way of figuring. But hey, look, carol services are coming up. Invite 20, not by email, personally, invite 20. So 10 come and three or four sign up for honest questions or Christianity explored so that maybe one will be saved. Jesus tells us to expect many to hear and not many to respond. But those who do will be hugely fruitful. So invite lots, invite lots. It also tells us what to expect when we look at our own hearts. Expect that there'll be a lot of dangerously bad responses to God's word, There are lots of ways we can respond wrongly to God's word and only one way we can respond rightly. We face the same temptations and pressures and so we need to pray for one another. We need to be a church that loves each other enough that we pray for one another that we would respond well, that hardships wouldn't squash us, that good things wouldn't choke us and the devil wouldn't snatch his seed away and instead that we would be fruitful. Let's pray for each other. Let's love each other by praying for each other. But this passage is not just about what responses to expect, as the the last two little uh, vignettes show us, Um, as we get into uh, verses 16 to 21, and Jesus calls us to be careful how we listen. It's not just about responses. In fact, if Jane Austen was writing about this passage, she'd call it response and responsibility, because Jesus makes it clear in the last two sections, it's bang on, I'm telling you, um, that we, we mustn't hear his teaching here and think, well, uh, okay, so uh, there's nothing we can do. Some people are good souls. Some people are bad souls. There's nothing I can do. No, 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 no. He teaches us what responses to expect in the first part. But now he says, and you are responsible for how you respond. So listen carefully. We're responsible for how we listen. Look at verses 16 to 18. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. He says, look, if you receive God's word, let it shine out from you. There's there's got to be fruit. If you genuinely receive God's word, then don't hide it. Let it shine out. The the character of Christ must shine out from you. Not perfectly, but genuinely. And the gospel must shine out from you. Now, some of us will be bold and confident when it comes to telling others about Jesus. Most of us are more likely to be a little bit more timid and tongue-tied. But our gifts, our character are in God's hands. But if we have come to know salvation in Jesus, then we will share that light with others. You cannot receive the word of God genuinely and not shine it out. Let that light shine for other people. You must allow a world that is in darkness to see the light of Christ if you've received it. 19 to 21 we'll make, a, make a similar point, to be honest. How we respond to God's word matters. Verse 18 says, consider carefully how you listen. Verse 19, now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. You could be Billy Graham's daughter. You could have grown up in a church. You could live in a a house with more Bibles than all the other books put together. You could be married to a Bible-believing, faithful Christian. You could go to church without fail every single Sunday of your life. But none of it gets you into God's family. None of it counts for anything. None of it can win you a relationship with Jesus. If you don't trust Jesus yourself for salvation, if you don't respond to his word by turning away from sin and by trusting in him, for eternal life if you don't hear his words and obey them i guess these words are a sober warning to those of us who are very familiar with christian things but whose lives show we've we've never actually taken the step of putting our trust in jesus when it matters and living for him obeying him day by day but there is encouragement too there's huge encouragement See, it doesn't matter how far away you started from God. There is no family legacy so hideous, no past sins so disgusting, no track record of failure that can disqualify you. If you hear and obey God's word, that is, if you trust in Jesus and turn from your sins, if you do that, then no matter what your past, no matter what you might feel about where you are right now, you are, what, forgiven? Yes, Declared right with God, yes. Welcome into his perfect remade heaven, yes. But much more than that. You come to God not as a creature before his creator, but as a son or daughter before his father. He is your elder brother. And God says to everybody, everybody, who hears his word and puts it into practice, trusting Jesus, you're my family. You're my family. You are loved and welcome. How you listen shows who you are. Those who hear God's word and put into practice for all the struggles and difficulties. Well, those are God's forgiven family. Let's pray. Our Father God, we we thank you for Jesus' parable. We thank you for the way that he gives us healthy expectations. We pray that we wouldn't be ground down or um, discouraged, but would keep on sharing the good news of the gospel with those that we love, so that they might come to know Jesus. We pray that we would be humbly aware that there will be a battle in our souls too, and we pray that we would be prayerful and watchful, that we might respond rightly to your word. And we thank you so much for the encouragement that if we will trust in Jesus, if we will hear and obey your word, then you welcome us as your children. Amen.